what a treat we have for you today. Derek Adams has joined the podcast and it will be a two-part special. Uh, Tom, it's a good one, right? Yeah, really enjoyable. Derek was kind enough to give us some of his time to reflect largely on his Plymouth Argyle days with a few uh, juicy exclusives, which is great. And um, yeah, I really hope everybody enjoys listening to it as much as we did being present. Absolutely. Mark, it's, um, it's, it's a period of Argos history you know well. Yeah, it was great to hear Derek. You know, I think we left the room knowing a lot more about the individual. You know, I hope the listener gets more of a feeling for the for the sort of person Derek Adams is. And we owe him more than we think we do. Let's put it that way. He did a, Absolutely. He did a Absolutely. good job. Fantastic job, and hopefully it'll be a fantastic listen. Um, enough rambling from us. We'll get straight on into it, and yeah, please enjoy part one. Yes, joining me today is Mark, Chris, and Tom, and I am absolutely delighted to say former Plymouth Argyle manager Derek Adams. Thank you ever so much for joining us. It's um, yeah, it's a real treat to have you with us. Yeah, delighted to be on. Um, I've obviously um, been away for a few years now, but uh, I've been back down uh, on the, the south coast uh, a few times with my, well, my club now uh, is in Morecambe yeah. and uh, delighted to always go back down there. Yeah, I mean, speaking of Morecambe, you're doing all right at the moment, huh? Yeah, we've done very well, you know, for the circumstances that we're in uh, as a football club. And uh, not too dissimilar to my time when I first took over at uh, Plymouth Argyle, which we'll probably go on to. Uh, it's a football club that's in transition and, um, you know, we're trying to, to move it on. And uh, I think that, you know, we got promoted out of League Two into League One, spent a couple of seasons in League One and uh, found ourselves back in League Two again. I mean, at time of recording, was it five wins out of seven, all, all competitions, I believe? Yeah, we have. And, um, you know, we've moved ourselves into eighth position in the league, which is uh, very good. We've got two games in hand uh, on the teams of us because we're the only side in the division that have international players uh, that have been picked. We've got four stroke five. It's it's really good to have so much international recognition at this level. Um, before, a quick question before we get into your Ross County stuff. Is League Two any different to what it was with Argyle? all those years ago. Have you noticed the difference? Because, you know, almost 10 years on. Um, financially, it is a lot different. Right. Um, okay. play, it has differed, especially this year with the likes of Wrexham, uh, Stockport, Notts County. Um, you know, they're the ones that, uh, you know, are spending big in this league and that's increased uh, probably since the time I was in League 2. Yeah, Wrexham. Have you got your eyes on a Disney Plus Cameo? <laughs> that documentary? Uh, I don't really. I don't think it's uh, <laughs> my eyes very watchable, but uh, it's maybe for some people. Uh, very diplomatic, I'll take that. I can't remember, sorry, Archie, who was in the division because right. you've, you've been out of this division with Morecambe before and, and given Morecambe's size and stature, that was quite the achievement then, I'll be honest. Exactly. I, I mean, I look at it probably in a slightly different way. I couldn't care less how much supporters you have uh, as a football club, uh, how big your bank balance is. Uh, it's what you produce on the pitch. It's 11 against 11. Uh, and what we did 
you know, when I was at Plymouth Agile, what we did when we were here at Morecambe was we looked at the opposition, we looked at how we could get the better of the opposition, we looked at the strengths and the weaknesses. And um, on any given day, if we got a tactical side of it right, did the players, you know, play well enough in a day, then we had every chance of getting the result because we had the right blend of player taken into the squad that was going to cause other teams problems. And a lot of the time, because opposition probably don't understand what you're doing and supporters as well, uh, you do get disrespected. Um, I'd like to take you back to 2007, if that's okay, which uh, feels like a long time ago. Well, it is really. And you were player manager or player coach at Ross County. Is that right? Well, yeah, that that is correct. And um, at that stage, um, Dick Campbell was the manager. Uh, I had taken over there. I was involved in a bit of the coaching uh, mm. along, alongside the assistant manager and manager. Uh, Dick Campbell left and I was given this opportunity to manage a football club uh, in League Two. And I was 32 years of age at the time. I didn't think at that moment in time that might be the right opportunity for me because 32, you can still play. Could have played till 36, could have played till 38. And then one of the office staff, uh, who used to be a football manager in his Highland League days, took me into his office. He was a financial controller at the moment in time at Ross County. And he said, are you sure you don't want to take the job? I said, well, I'm 32. I think I've still got time you know, to, to play on. And he said to me, well, I think this is a great opportunity. You don't get often that opportunity to take on a football club uh, at this level. So I went home, I thought about it, uh, I spoke to a few people and I eventually I took over uh, as manager uh, as Ross County Football Club in League Two. And the one thing about it is I hung my boots up right away. I never played again uh, any football. And what I had to do was to get that football club out of League Two into League One. If that didn't happen, then the football club were going to go part-time. So I had a lot of pressure on me. Uh, at that early stage and that really gave me the impetus to go forward and pressure doesn't mean anything to me nowadays because I had pressure then uh, as a 32 year old and Mm. the pressure now is to win the next game Just a question on that, do you it's sort of seen two types of managers are you kind of still kicking every ball or do you feel like you were kind of a manager in waiting when you were playing? Um I was a manager in waiting. I forgot about the playing side of the game. But from the point of view, I didn't want to go and play. I'd finished that. That was over. Uh, I didn't take part in training. Uh, If I did, then it was very limited um, because I had to get over that divide. Uh, I had to understand I needed to get prepared for training. I needed to get my head right for picking the team. And... um, that was my main focus. But I knew when I was 26, 27, that I wanted to become a manager. So uh, it was no shock to me to do what I did. And taking it back to Ross County, were they a big fish in League Two? Or We, we were not. Um, we were a football club that was always, I know I've used this uh, quite a few times in my days at uh, Argyle, punching above our weight uh, at that mm. moment in time. You took them from League Two to the top flight of Scottish football, which is quite frankly, a remarkable achievement. 
Yeah, my first stint there at Ross County, we took them from League Two to League One, and then we were in the Championship at the time. After three years, we got a Scottish Cup final. Um, we beat Celtic at Hampden Park 2-0. Uh, we had beaten Hibernian in the previous round as well. And I left um, 11 games into the next season because I didn't think that I could take Ross County any further mm. than I did over that three-year spell. I thought it was going to be uh, stagnation. What I did was I went and became assistant manager at Hibernian Football Club after that three years. I spent six months there. And the reason I spent six months there was I wasn't an assistant manager. I was a manager. I wanted to be the person to make decisions. Uh, and I said to Colin, listen, I'm, I'm going to move on. And Ross County gave me the opportunity to go back there. And, uh, you know, it's not often you get the opportunity to go back to, to a football club. Uh, and, you know, the chairman wanted to go back there and uh, start off then the next uh, three years uh, cycle. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. I'll start off with the cup run, which is really remarkable. Well, I mean, that must have been, not to put words in your mouth, but kind of career highlight stuff, beating Celtic at Hamden. Yeah, I mean, I've got, many, yeah, I've got many highlights in my career and I wouldn't like to say any of them are at the top because there was so, I've had so many over a, a period mm. of time. I've enjoyed every single one of them. And, um, you know, to get to play at Hamden with Ross County, it was a surreal experience. We went there, we beat Celtic 2-0. The night before the game, the players were in unbelievable spirits. Um, they were so relaxed. Um, you wouldn't have thought they were going to play a semi-final against one of the best teams in Scotland. And we just, you know, went there and, and won 2-0 against Neil Lennon, who had just taken over uh, as Celtic manager. The the occasion then to get to the to the final to play Dundee United was probably too big for us. Um, mm -hmm. There was fifty thousand in the stadium, and we didn't really play well on the day. And uh, but listen, to have Ross County playing in a, a Scottish Cup final as a League One club was was outstanding. Yeah, uh, Hamden's a funny ground. I've been there once or twice. I went to watch Aberdeen in a losing. God knows what, semi-final, I think, or a final. And it can be a bit of a soul-searching place. Um, it, it can it can be. Yeah. I just, you know, on that day, it was a fabulous occasion to, to have, you know, so many Ross County supporters in the stadium. I think we took nearly uh, mm. 15,000 with us, you know, for such wow. a small area. People do forget that Ross County as a town is only small, but the population that come week and week to... to to watch them as a vast area that they can tap into as well, much the same as Plymouth Argyle, uh, you know, no. down in the south. Well, let's move into Argyle. Your friends and family must have thought you were having a laugh after being in Dingwall for five years or four years or so, on and off, then going to the complete other extreme of the of the country to Argyle. I mean, it doesn't get much further, does it? No, I mean, I had another three years at uh, Ross County, and then um, we got to the Premier League. We finished fifth. We finished seventh. And, yes, uh, sorry, I'm doing you a disservice. We're missing out a lot of the good stuff there. <laughs> you had no, many no. successful uh, years in the in the Premiership, of course. And then, and then four four games into the next season, you know, you you, you get the sack and you spend a bit of time looking to see who your next move's going to be. And um, mm. I said to my agent at the time, the Plymouth Agile job came up. I messaged him and said, "Listen, I think this is an interesting uh, club that 
that I could possibly go to. Could you speak to them? He did that. And then I was able to get an interview uh, with a guy. I went to a place that no one really likes to go to for the interview. That was Exeter. And um, we wow. had the interview there. I think they wanted it away from Argyle because they didn't want to show me the stadium. They didn't want to show me the, the training ground at that moment in time. And I'll probably go into that later. Um, <laughs> it was a, a wise move from them because I think I spent an hour and a half, two hours uh, at the interview process. James Brent, who I'm still very friendly with, a magnificent person that was at the right time uh, for Plymouth Argyle to steer them clear of the troubles they were in. Tony Rathel was was there as well. And I think going into that interview process, I had to quite quickly learn what Plymouth Argyle was, had been, what the history was. I needed to know what their playing style was. I'd watched their games against Wickham uh, in the playoffs. I, I saw their strengths and weaknesses on that, on that night. And eventually, the reason I think I got the job, and I... I probably know why I got the job, was that I could work within a budget. The mm. football club was struggling at the time financially. At Ross County, I had a similar budget to the budget I was going to work with at uh, Plymouth Argyle. And the owners, the, the chairman, you know, bought into that. And, um, you know, I was given the, the opportunity to manage, you know, a fabulous football club. I've got just a general question, not necessarily about that interview, but I'm intrigued when managers are interviewed, I guess, like, how does that start? They sort of sit down and just talk about you. Do they talk about your plans for the club? I mean, it's a, it's a very unique role. How does someone decide who's right and wrong? Yeah, I mean, I go into the presentation. They have a um, a number of questions that they want to ask you. Um, I have a presentation that I use and I go through my philosophies. I also go through um, what I've done in my career, but that's obviously on your CV as well. But um, the presentation is there to give the board an idea of how I'm going to try and change their football club. There's a lot of managers that can say that, but there's a lot of managers that can't back it up. There's a lot of managers that um, haven't had the history of doing it. And this is probably why we're into a situation where there's a lot of younger managers nowadays getting that opportunity. But they quite quickly get the sack because they haven't done it lower down and uh, made the mistakes but my idea is to go in present to them show them what i think how we can get out the the division i do remember uh, and i did look into it the plymouth Argyle supporters didn't want 352 they had had enough of 352 at that moment in time i wanted they wanted to see wingers again they wanted to see people play where they went to the pitch and it's mm -hmm. it's quite ironic four years later they wanted then to be three five two again. So it's how a football <laughs> supporter changes uh, quickly, yeah. and and it's natural, you know. And mm. um, so I said, listen, I'll come in, I'll play four two three one, I'll play four three three, and um, we'll try and play in the front foot. Tactically, yes, I had to understand the division. I had to understand um, how we were going to win football games. But I had history of being able to do that against, you know, top club. Uh, opposition as well so that was how I went through the, the interview process and, and I had you know the stats to back it up I knew about every Argyle player I knew that Carol McHugh was the most booked player uh, at the time uh, and how we had to change our disciplinary 
record because we had too many bookings. Uh, so these were the things that were spoken about at the interview process. Derek, it'd be very clear why at that point that you were a really good fit for Plymouth Argyle, but more more the other way around. You said you, you saw those Wickham games. So this is a question about the good stuff. I don't know if you remember, I have really fond memories of that game. We're about 3-0 down and the stadium lights up. I credit the, the two goals that brought that first leg back to the, the supporters and to the atmosphere. Did you, were you aware of that then? Um, is that something that leaped off the page to you? Yeah, I mean, I was sitting at home in Glasgow um, watching it uh, on television, watching it on Sky Sports. was surprised at the goals that were in, how they were conceded. I was watching the game because Wickham had Stephen Craig, who scored and played with me uh, at Ross County, who scored in the, the Celtic game. So that was ironic as well. But to see the atmosphere, to see the stadium, uh, was something that I thought that I could work with and, and try and turn around. And, and uh, that was me watching the game, not knowing that that, ga- that job would come up. And uh, that's strange how you, you know some things work out. Mm. The second point you mentioned about the, um, the stadium and the training facility, which is something that fascinates me still to this day, and about how you didn't come down, because obviously the stadium... The grandstand, which you wouldn't see on the cameras, were in that at the time, so you wouldn't have seen that. You'd have seen the <laughs> the horseshoe, and then um, when you come down, you see that the the old Mayflower stand not fit yeah. for purpose, and no, and no training for. Let's be honest, no training facilities of note. Yeah, I mean, when I first walked in on the, the first day, I've got to take it back and, and think. I wanted an opportunity to work, and I wanted the opportunity to work in in England. Plymouth Aguirre were giving me that opportunity. Did it matter what everything looked like at that moment in time? No. Could we improve it? The answer is yes. I walked onto the training pitch the first day I was there. There was dandelions, there was daisies, there was weeds everywhere. And I mean everywhere. And I couldn't believe it. Top and bottom pitch. And I said to myself, wow, what have I done here? I walk into the port of cabins where the offices are and I thought, this can't be serious. But I was given an opportunity to turn this football club around. And what you're talking about, I was the right person. James Brent was the right person to employ me, but he was the right person to help me change the fortunes of the football club at that moment in time because we didn't have any money. And it wasn't until a year or so later when Martin Stan spoke to me, he said, we didn't know where the money was coming from when you came into the football club, but nobody told me that. <laughs> but but that was a good thing as well because that was kept away from me and right. I remember my first day walking into the offices and James Brent was in the, the coaching staff office and James said to me he said um, you can take in five players on X amount of money and I worked it out okay I've got uh, 1,250 a week say roughly uh, for for each for five players that's fine they said you need to take national insurance off of that you need to take agents fees off of that relocation off of that i said well that's a good start block we're going to find it difficult but i was able to i took in carry carry uh, wild gary sawyer uh, jervis and there's one more other player that escapes me and um they were five you know really good signings for us uh, at the football club, but they were all coming in on 
yeah, not great money according to football terms at that moment in time, but um, we work with it. It's interesting you say how Argyle were a completely different beast back then. And it's a small observation. I probably wouldn't interest you much, but looking at the kit reveal from that year, the the dodgy lilac one we had, um, it's got you know Curtis Nelson and trainers standing next to a disused tactic board. And run forward to 2023, we've got these great cinematic videos with, you know, a week-long tease. And that, that, that was just up on Twitter instantaneously and no no suspense, nothing. And it was, a, you know, it looked like it had been done on some bloke's smartphone. It was so basic. Um, it, it, it was it incredible was, to see. It was. But the reason for that is the football club was nearly out the door. Mm. And um, yep. the football club had to start again. And I was taken in just after John Sheridan. Uh, left was to help us move forward, work within our budget, and get success from working within that budget as as we did. And the the opportunity to try and get us out of that division in that first season, we tried our best to get out of the division. We we got to that playoff final at Wembley. It was a huge disappointment to lose. We didn't play well in the day. Um, we probably froze uh, on the occasion. Was it the right time for us to get out of the division from League 2 into League 1? The answer is no, because the difference between money-wise from League 2 to League 1 wasn't huge. The gates wasn't going to be enough for us to, to go. We weren't ready for League 1 at that moment in time. And really, would, would we have loved to have got there? Yes, we would have we'd taken it. But I don't know where we would, would have been as a football club if we were in League 1. I don't. You know, we mm-hmm. might your football club might not be in the position it is today if we hadn't gone uh, in the right path. Yeah, fascinating um, to think what could have happened. Those, I mean, obviously it led to Wembley, which was a fairly disappointing day, as you alluded to. But what that did give us was those two uh, playoff games against Pompey, which were still, for me, probably my most... And I wasn't even at any of them. (laughs) I was in Aberdeen watching it on TV and... um, Still, some of my yeah, that that Peter Hartley goal, it's hard to top that for me. And yeah, everything I mean, around it, the fact that it was Portsmouth at home in the sunshine, you know, semi-final with Wembley being the prize. It just there was so many boxes ticked that day, and it was just incredible. Two fantastic games, and mm. what what was was good about it was that we went away from home uh, first. We beat. Yeah. Uh, Hartlepool, I changed the team around quite a bit, gave a lot of players their debuts, uh, Tyler Harvey Rooney scored an, an unbelievable goal against Hartlepool we then were able to get ourselves into a better position so we went away from home first and then the game at home was next I don't know what Ports was, were thinking about if they wanted to play away from home second and get the home advantage first, I always wanted to play at home on the second leg and mm. because I knew I could go to Portsmouth and do a job on them. And we went to Portsmouth and we did a really good job on them. Uh, we drew 2-2 with them. We had a fantastic, uh, you know, goals to the game. Uh, Matt, Jamil Matt, scored in two goals in the night. And uh, mm. it, it yeah. was just a, a fantastic atmosphere. 3,000 away supporters, a girl supporters, packing out the away end, live on television. Bacon hot night, 2-2. I think Watsy got sent off that night, which was uh, yeah. a funny... Yeah. A funny <laughs> yeah. a, I, think a it's fairly, um, I think it was fairly emotional on the touchline. And I think, I might be wrong, there's a clip of 
both both benches going at each other and then almost 10 15 seconds later Jamil Matt does I guess you can call it a bicycle kick um it was <laughs> just incredible wasn't it and then that home one to take you to that home one I mean from memory we were playing pretty well and Pompey were out on their feet really for the last half hour yeah I mean I mean the, the home game um you know the atmosphere was was outstanding there was 15,000 there they had mm. 1600 at the game and um I thought it it was a tight affair, but to finish the game the way it was for Peter Hartley to, to score in the manner, the dying stages of the game to kill Portsmouth off the way we did because there was certainly a rivalry, the rivalry between myself and and Paul Cook at the time uh, probably got into the, the the field, into the terracing uh, and the stands, and it was a it was a great football match and uh, some two. Really good uh, football sites. I'd go further than that, Derek. I think that set off a six, seven year rivalry. And I can probably put it down to that electric 15 minutes of that game. The league finishes, often we were ahead of them, but we were very close together. The matches were tight. We've always called it the Dockyard Derby, but that derby's gone up a notch, say, since that game when you faced up to Paul Cook. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, the Paul Cook story is quite interesting because um, Paul was trying to sign Ruben Reed at the time and um, wasn't too pleased that I wouldn't pick up his calls to, to answer him about Ruben Reid going to, to Portsmouth because I didn't want to sell him. He actually came to the youth game. Portsmouth were playing Plymouth Argyle at uh, Home Park in the under-18 match in the FA Cup. And he was sat in the front row. And after the game, Portsmouth won. I think Chaplin was the, the striker and he scored the goals. And after the game, I went to shake his hand and said, well done. And he said, no, 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 I'm not shaking your hand. I said, what do you mean? No, no, you, you, you didn't return my calls. I said, well, I'm not going to return your calls when you're you know, trying to get one of my star players to come to your football club and done it the way that you've done it. So that's how it all started. And uh, uh, it's amazing that that then transformed into a rivalry that it was in the pitch. Yeah, I mean, those celebrations after that header in the whatever it was, 90 plus minutes, they were, I mean, you were on the pitch, I believe, Derek. <laughs> and rightly so. I- yeah, I mean, did a little uh, Mourinho it, sprint like Old Trafford, two thousand and three Porto. You wouldn't believe how pleased I was because you know to yeah. win against Portsmouth, to win against uh, you know Portsmouth saw us as the underdogs. They, they saw us mm. as as yeah. a small club. Well, un- unfortunately, um, on the two games we were you know better than them. We had beaten them just uh, in April the sixteenth at Portsmouth two one. Uh, you got to remember as well. So. Um, we had the edge in them and unfortunately they, they didn't like that. Yeah, no, really, really memorable day. Mark, no. is there something you want to add? Derek, I remember after the playoff defeat at Wembley, I was on the train home from Paddington with my brother and I had the programme and it had all the stats for the losing finalists the following season, the average finishing position, which was like 16th or 17th and I, I looked at my my brother and it wasn't a very happy look so it was an amazing amazing job that you did with Argo the following season because we were in control the whole season we never had that hangover which um, a lot of sides have after a Wembley defeat particularly the sort of defeat which we had it against Wimbledon because we didn't turn up yeah I mean I, I looked at that stats as well Mark and you always do when I look at stats like that I th- it fires me up even more. Um, I don't like negativity, and I don't like it, it 
talking in a negative way, and and you'll know that from my time, you know, doing media. Uh, I, I would always see that a good thing uh, in a in a performance, um, and that was the making. We had done well to get to the playoff uh, final. We didn't succeed, but what we did was the next season we changed the team around a bit, we strengthened it, and we were going to get promoted uh, the following season. The only thing. You know that was really disappointing was that um, the following season is we didn't get to uh, to win the, the the championship. Yeah, can I just take you back a bit to that? How do you? I mean, obviously, as an individual, Derek, you've said you you felt you had the mentality to recover from that. But when you're the leader of a of the club in many in many ways, how do you galvanise the the staff, the non-playing staff, and the playing staff? to go again because those the double header of Pompey and then the Wimbledon game that's a lot isn't it, it it's, it's, a lot. It's, it's probably changing the squad around a bit which we did um, which is important um, some players left after that game but then you take in new players they don't have that experience of not winning the playoff um, final but it was probably different for me because I saw that as a success getting to, to the playoff final it was my first season in English football and um, I was probably different to the Argyle supporters who had seen the club in a different light to what I had seen and mm. I wanted then the next season to push on and get promoted because I knew what it was like to play in League 2 and we became stronger, we became more resolute the, the following season to have a, a better go at it. Uh, Mark, you were, sorry I cut in on you there, you were waving your hands frantically, is there something you wanted to add? I was going to ask how you got Graham Carey to to perform so well at Argyle for over four seasons. I mean, he he was a star performer over over those four seasons, and he must have like you were talking about Ruben Reed, you know, attracting the eye. He must have been one that you'd have had to throw your telephone in in a different room. Yeah, I mean, Graham came down from Scotland. I had him at Ross County, and um, he was a left winger in his day, even a left back and I played him in a position either off the right or as a 10 mostly because that was his prepared position but his delivery from set plays, his eye for goal, he could set up attacks, he was just different to what a number of teams had uh, at the top end in League 2. I thought he could make a difference. We had Wilde who was pace on the left we had Jervis, who had Pacey on the right, who could score goals. Uh, Carey playing off of whoever was played up front at that moment in time. And But Graham Carey, it was difficult when his two-year contract ran out. I signed him in a two-year contract. And um, there was a lot of interest in him. What my idea was, I can't lose him. Um, we obviously had to pay him uh, extra money because of the money that he had been given to come here to start with. Nobody knew who Graham Carey was. And this probably goes back into the football club talking about signing players on data. Well, they wouldn't have signed Graham Carey. They wouldn't have signed Lumiris. They wouldn't have signed Freddie Ladapo, who they made 500000 for on a, a one-year deal because the data is not there for it. Um, it's my eye and, and, and scouting staff's eye that we can see something that they could bring to the team and enable us. And Graham Carey was one that could play in a variety of positions and do very well for us. So, I mean, back then, 
we were signing, there was a lot, there was a big turnover, wasn't there? Almost every summer you'd see a lot, not just under your reign, under Sheridan's as well. Um, you know, every summer I, I, would be kind of 13 coming, comings and going. Was that, was that the financial restrictions that did that? There was a lot of two-year deals was my, was my short answer. What alludes, no, that, that's probably my style. Um, mm -hmm. I like to sign players in one-year contracts with an option right. in the club's favour. The reason for that is that um, at this level, players sign two and three year contracts, sit on them, don't have to perform. I sign players mm -hmm. to perform this season. And and that's why there's a high turnover of players when I manage, because it doesn't cost us any more money. It costs, mm. it, 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 it's one in, one out. But what I get is I get a player that's ready for a fresh challenge, a player that's hungry to play at a higher level, and he's there ready to play for that football club at that moment in time. And that's the reason why you'll see over my tenure, you know, I've done it here at uh, Morecambe, I've done it uh, at Ross County, Plymouth Argyle. It brings success. I mean, yeah. Freddie Ladapo was a prime example. Freddie, I tried to sign him from Crystal Palace. He went to Southend and loan. He then went in a free from Crystal Palace. I wanted to sign him. He, he didn't really want to leave London. He's doing a medical at Wimbledon. He phones me and he said, is the contract still on the table? I said, where are you? I says, I've just come out my medical at Wimbledon. I said, well, you better get yourself to a girl quite quickly. I says, the contract's still here. I want to sign you. I didn't put the, the phone down or anything. I said, get here. I said, we'll get you in a free contract and uh, we'll get you scoring goals. Freddie the Dapple came to Plymouth Aguil, scored 20 goals and uh, made the club, what, 500,000 in a year. That's the reason that I do these kind of things, because I got a player that was hungry and wanted to score goals and um, did really well. Unfortunately, at the end of the day, um, we didn't stay in the division that season. Derek, if you look at some of the players you've brought in, like Graham Carey, he's been nowhere near as productive for anybody else than than Plymouth Argyle. And you named a few players earlier, like Jake Jervis. And obviously they've got to have a, a talent and Jordan Slew, who's still with you now, wants like one for a million pounds. So there's got, there's got to be part of it. But is there anything that you can sum up the input you have on an individual that means that they will perform, maybe outperform their expectations that they've yeah, I mean, somewhere else? Yeah, I agree with that because I do look at players and, you know, when they decide to move on, um, I think, you know, is that a good idea for them at the time to go to another football club? Some of them I say, yes, that's a great move for you, go. Um, some go and then a manager doesn't understand them. I understand the player, where he's going to play, what uh, position he's going to play in the team for me. I sometimes give them a lot of leeway in team formation. Graham Carey was one. At times, I would allow to have 80 minutes not playing well and on the bench I've got Craig Brewster and Watsy saying you've got to take him off I said sit back down he's not coming off he's the only player that could score a goal out of nothing and time and time again he would do something that was ridiculous and mm. that these are the type of players that you've as a manager you've got to trust you know a Lemires that could twist and turn uh, and I think that I want to see a team play on the pitch the way that I want to watch football. So when I watch my teams, they're quick going forward. 
they attack, they can defend, they can bore at times. At times, we have to play different oppositions. We can grind out a result because you have to do that at times. But don't tell me when you used to watch some of the Plymouth Argyle teams, you know, when uh, we beat Newport at home 6-1, they, they weren't a good side. They could play. They could pass the ball. They could run forward. They could score goals. And there is a number of supporters over time who tried to disservice what I did over my time at Plymouth Argyle, there wasn't, you know, the football at times. I tell you, some really good players in the time to, that I could afford to take to that football club, uh, pound for pound, you know, they did really well for us. Yeah, talking about grinding out a draw, you did that in pretty dramatic fashion in that promotion campaign, albeit not in the league. It was, the best, it was the best nil-nil draw I've ever seen. It was the best defensive performance <laughs> at Anfield, yes. Yeah, it, tell, it, I mean, tell us about that day. That must have been incredible for you personally. And then, of course, I'll go. Yeah, I mean, to, to go to, to Anfield, to take 8,000 supporters with us, to see the players go there, to play in the manner we did. We know Liverpool changed things about a bit, but we were at Anfield the stadium had just been redeveloped again, it just opened and we went there, we sat back in, we didn't allow space for Liverpool Steve McManaman was on the television and BT saying can't believe our guy are not coming out and playing against Liverpool yeah, I, don't know I, what he was, I don't know what he was thinking, you know he has no idea what we were trying to do we got a nil-nil result we took uh, Liverpool to Argyle. We took 20, another 20,000 into the stadium. We made 750,000 from the two games. Wow. What did it do? It changed the way the football club was going to run. We were able to get rid of the dandelions, the weeds. We put in new pitch into the training ground. We put in a water tank. We put in a watering system, sprinkler system to the training ground. That money, that nil-nil, that 1-0 defeat at home generated the extra money that we needed to go forward. And I think that, you know, in football in terms, it was a fabulous day. And, you know, to have it on the promotion winning season as well uh, was fantastic. Excuse me, the second game gets forgotten, doesn't it? In, because the first one was at Anfield. It was, did we hit the post? We had a very, very good chance, yeah. didn't we? Like, it was close. The second game was much closer than people ever remember. They remember the away draw, but... But yeah, was, I mean, uh, it was a great I game at home. It was a great game at home. Uh, the Brazilians scored the header uh, at the near post. I remember that from the corner kick. Jake Jervis hit the post late on. I then had Bulevitis running up front uh, trying to get a goal late on in the game, <laughs> uh, which I don't like doing. But um, <laughs> it, was, um, it, it was it was fantastic. You know, Jurgen Klopp didn't even know where Plymouth was uh, at the time. Uh, and But you know, to have two games of that magnitude uh, was great for uh, the football club at that moment in time. Hey, Jurgen Klopp didn't know what Opacity was. Do you see that? Yeah. Kind of you're aware of that that presentation in the, in the presser. I, I showed my I showed my girlfriend, my partner, who's German, and she was in stitches watching that because she knows full well what Opacity is now. Mm. Um, eight years down the, in the relationship together, and um, she couldn't believe it. <laughs> he couldn't believe it as he was there. He had no idea what was going on. It was, um, yeah, a real moment. And I think, I mean, we spoke a lot about the moments from the previous season. And to me, in that season, we can't, 
hey, it certainly wasn't boring. We got promoted, which is great, but we can't, we kind of grounded out and it never looked not in doubt. If you under, if you get what I mean, we um, there was never a big yeah. wobble. We just, we got no. over the line. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, if you look back on it, there was never like a lot of four nils, five nils, or that. Uh, no, but no. It, it was, you know, one nil, one one, um, a one nil game, a two one game. It was getting over the line, and uh, sometimes in a promotion winning season, you you have to do that. But holiday weekend to beat Newport six one at home. Uh, what was was fantastic, and uh, he went the rest of the season unbeaten, you know, as well. Uh, and that's something that uh, has got to, to to be remembered. You know, that six-one game with Kennedy scoring two, Jervis scoring two, Carey, Taylor, and Sawyer, all the players that were pivotal in that season. And just some similarities with that season, the one that's just gone. The amount of opposing managers or opposing fans that came out saying, "Cool, you know, they fluked a one-nil win or they didn't play too well." But to your point. It's the result that that really matters. There's something in grinding out results that is a good thing. Yeah, you you have to at times. Um, you you have to respect the opposition, um, and you have to find a way of either getting a point or winning a, a football match. And uh, it can't always be pretty football. If you've got X million to spend, then I agree that you should, um, you know, warrant that you should be playing free for in football. But we weren't spending millions of pounds. We were spending pounds and we were trying to get as much out of them as we possibly can to get that victories. And and I think the budget at the time, uh, uh, don't quote me on this, but I think it was around about 10th in the division. We were discussing uh, at the weekend our draw at West Brom, Derek, and we were discussing the value of the draw. And I... I was struck with your stats as Argo manager, especially in the first few seasons. You seem to have a very low percentage of draws, but you'd win a lot of games, but you'd also lose. Is that part of your philosophy, to always go for the win? Always go for the win. At some point in the game, you take a draw. At some point in the game. Now, the reason I say that is you might be get, the opposition might be getting the better of you. You have to then take the draw, but if it's nil nil or whatever it is, two two one one, and you're on top of the opposition, you go for the win. Then mm. um, it's always going for the win. The three points are massive, you know. You Derek, have three... Derek, you've made Tom Kirk's year <laughs> for saying that. He's been yeah. he's been banging that drum all season, and I've slowly come around to his way of thinking. He's not going to let yeah. you forget it now that you've said that. You know, you can look at and you can see, yeah, we've been undefeated in three games, we've picked up three points, well no. well done, okay, I, I get that and, and I, I would probably use that as well but mm. if you can get, you know, two wins and uh, over uh, three draws, then, you know, you take the two wins don't you, you know, you're, you're three points mm. ahead and, uh, you know, that's the way that I look at it. You've always just got that chance as well. And I, what I, where it, where Mark was going with that is, we looked at a nil. We we got a nil nil draw with West Brom this weekend, and and then I compared that nil nil at Liverpool, where you know I think you called it the best defensive display, and people called it part of the bus. And Steve McManaman wasn't having it and all that. He'd rather we'd lost three 0 and played some football apparently. Mm-hmm. But it, it, I I can't get over the stigma because 
and maybe it's because it's not the style that Barcelona were playing at the time, Derek, but we were very direct. Yes, you decided to defend and do what put the strategy together that you thought best suited, but we had five chances in that game. Um, and then I, I looked at our draw this weekend and we managed six despite having tons of possession. So I'm delighted to hear that you were actually going for a 1-0 win. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, mean, I think, you know, possession and... It's a big thing with me. I, I couldn't care less about possession. I, I, I don't care about possession. I don't think football fans go to a football match to watch a team play possession. I went to watch Southampton uh, at Preston last night and I watched Southampton have possession and bored me to tears. I want to go to a football match where I'm going to see chances and goal, shots and goals, keepers making a save, crosses into the box, good play, balls into centre forward, back to the number 10 out wide. That's what I'm going to watch a football match for. It's like World Cup in the, you know, when you used to play at school, World Cup in in the day. You go and play football to win a football match. I don't want to go and see a football match where the keeper passes it out and it goes to the centre half inside the 18 yard box and it goes backside, backside, and then gets punted forward and say that you're a football team. That does my head in. We want to see chances. We want to see goals. I speak about XG quite a bit because it's the probability of scoring goals. And that's what I'm into. I want to see my teams go and score goals because I'm the manager. I want to be standing in the touchline watching my team go for the win. I've seen a stat recently, Derek, and uh, your Morecambe team right at this moment in time is basically the quickest from one end to the other of the pitch. Exactly. How, how do you train that? Or how do you, is that all on the training ground? Yeah, um, and also identifying the players that you want to play in the system. So um, what do we have? We have two centre midfield players, three centre midfield players that can all run forward. We've got wide players. Um, it's similar to the days of a, a Wild uh, and a Jervis that can run uh, and get the balls in the box, uh, score goals. We've got um, full-backs that can join in with play. It's all these things. A lot of what you probably watch, you know, if you look at Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich are fantastic, but they're playing at a different level. But I'm playing at a different level as well. And I'll watch these games and think, I wouldn't mind having that type of philosophy in my system. So I've got to then pick a League 2 player that can do the same as a Bayern Munich player and then train them to do the same. It's the same game. It's just at a different level. I'd like to see uh, Jan Zongo in the Bayern Munich uh, midfield. I don't think Jan would get into the Bayern Munich field, but I don't want to tell him that. Yeah, well, he certainly does a job for you, yeah. I've seen him five times, so, um, you know, he is uh, a player that... Um, he understands how I work and I understand how he works. I understand what he does for the, the team. He does the job that other people don't want to do. He allows other players yeah. in the team to go and play. Yeah, he's fondly remembered at Argyle. You know? Yeah, I mean, I mean we, we had Sarsovic, you know, Jamie Ness had his injury problems, but he sat there, or it was David Fox, you know, playing in that midfield as well. Really good technical players um, that could pass and could move, but they had somebody else round about them, like Jan, to win a header, to win a tackle, uh, that brought out the best in them. So that's about how do you build a, a, a side um, going forward. And all managers have different ideas how they do it. Um, 
Derek, there's something I'd like to ask you. I found a quote from yourself. Don't worry, nothing, nothing bad. It was just talking about your love of uh, the Italian game, which, as you've been speaking the last five minutes, um, yeah, really, it, it came came to my mind. Really, could you take us into that? That you're tactically, you're kind that you identify with that style of football, so to say, a bit, and it interests you. Yeah, I mean, what I would say, I don't like watching an Italian game. I wouldn't go and watch it all the time. But certainly <laughs> not that. But I like, yeah. I like the, I like their principles. Yeah, I like what, yeah. what they do, um, and I use some of that in trying to grind out a one 0 win, a two 0 win. You know, mm. and I remember my first day, and it was first game. Sorry, at Wimbledon away, and yeah. the supporters shouting. Uh, Scottish Mourinho and they were probably right in a way uh, because um, Mourinho is a bit off the wall he's a bit stubborn he has his issues but he knows how to win a football match he knows how to win championships he knows how to win uh, uh, build teams and probably knows how to self-destruct as well at times, and um, that's probably they were probably right on that first day of the season when they, when they sang that. Um, so, I... so going back into my Italian thing is that yes, I do enjoy the way they play. I enjoy the Germans as well, the Dutch. Yeah. I I enjoy the style of play that they play, um, and what I do think is that um, they've all got different aspects to it. The German. Uh, football, I enjoy it. I love watching Bayern Munich. I think Bayern Munich's one of the best clubs uh, in the world. I watched a documentary about it. I would honestly, if why people think why did Harry Kane go to Bayern Munich, they've not got a clue. He went to Bayern Munich because it's one of the best clubs in the world, and um, I think that uh, their philosophy from top to bottom, uh, a lot of football clubs should look at it. Yeah, that's when I first. Got to know Derek a bit. Derek was always uh, asking me about Bayern Munich. I was ESPN correspondent at the time, and I would, Pat Guardiola just happened to be coach, and then they had Carlo Ancelotti, obviously the Italian focus there, and he was always asking, you know, about formations and tactics, and I was definitely underqualified to answer those uh, questions. But I'm sure Derek would be a good coach for Harry Kane at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, but it's it's... It's just something that then you can look at and bring it into your, you know, football club. There's little things that you can learn, you know, from these massive football clubs. Mourinho, you know, I look at and, you know, the success he has. Yes, he's had a lot of money to spend. I get that. But he has been able to go to different countries and be a success. Is he a pain at times? Of course he is. But that's the nature of how he's been able to win things. You mentioned the self-destruct, though, Derek. You know, do yep. you have that? Do you have that in you? Are we, I mean, we're going to have to talk at the finals about our goal final season. Is yeah, that I mean, part, I think part of your story. Yeah, th- th- there is a bit about that. You know, I think that um, sometimes, you know, the, the, one of the things that probably um, caused me the, the deepest um, discomfort, regret um, at my time at Argyle was it probably wasn't. What I said at the time, what I said at the time was correct, 
but it was the way it was portrayed. And and that was that um, when we lost a game, I can't remember what game it was, but the abuse uh, that was thrown at myself, other coaches, staff, and some of the things that happened, I did say that, you know, um, some of the supporters were yobs, but one paper decided to write it in a way that it said all our girl fans were yobs, and that was totally incorrect. And that caused me the deepest regret, hot problem um, when I was at Argyle. And I never said that. Somebody else wrote that, and that was, was disappointing. Yeah. Um, Derek, that's something we'll definitely touch on in part two, because we're kind of now at the perfect halfway point in your Argyle um, career. If we're kind of at 2017 era, you've got promotion. Um, there's one or two more things I'd like to throw at you, if that's all right, before we take a wee break. Um, the, 2017, last time you played Exeter as an Argyle manager, obviously we um, left them in in the shadows of League Two and got promoted. But you got a big win against them in the promotion running in, I think, February time. That was huge because they were on a hell of a run then. And you got big, convincing 3-0 win at home with... I think was it Sasevich, Taylor, and Kennedy all in the starting lineup who were recruitments from that January. That felt big. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what I did. Um, we went to January. We signed them, and um, I think the first game was it was it was Cambridge away, as most of them, and we beat Cambridge away one nil. Uh, Sasevich, I think, scored in that game. I think it was correct. Um, he did for and. I had booked the whole team to go to Marbella. We went training to the Marbella. And people thought I was off my head. What are you going to Marbella for in February? Well, I said, I've always liked it. I like going there, getting a bit of weather and coming back. I said, the only problem is that we've got Exeter in the home game. You're going to get absolutely slaughtered if you lose that game. And you've been in Marbella for a few days with the players. I said, well, you know me, you know what I'm like, I'm going to take that risk. I said, so we beat Cambridge, we stayed over in London that night, we flew out Heathrow in the morning, we arrived in Marbella on a Sunday morning, we spent three days training, we trained Sunday, the, the boys didn't care, it was beautiful sunshine, we went to Porto Benus, we were right there, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, fly back, come back to Britain, freezing cold. But we're playing Exeter on the Saturday and we absolutely battered them, 3-0. It was, it was a perfect way to, you know, to finish a perfect week for us. And as you say, Kennedy, Taylor and Carey, uh, sorry, Jervis scoring the goals, uh, mm. it was a fitting occasion. Listen, there was no better games than beating Exeter. The one we went there, it was live on the telly uh, mm. at half past 12. And I always remember, I, I, I don't know what season this was, it was a, the, the season before or that season where we beat them. Uh, Arnie Garita scored, uh, who was on loan from uh, Bristol City. And Tanner played a great ball to him uh, for the goals. And I remember that day the, the Exeter fans had a banner up red and white banner that said that Devon will always be red and white 
and it was no great greater pleasure for me after the game, you know, saying that to them that Devon will always be green and white. And there's not a truer word said uh, because they've got no idea what a great football club Plymouth Argyle is. The supporters, the area, they're not a patch in them. It's a different ballgame. Stick it in my veins, Archie. Stick it in my veins. You won't be applying for a Gary Colwell's job then when he gets the... uh, I don't think I would ever, ever have an opportunity of taking that job. No, no. Okay, that feels like probably a perfect time to uh, press pause before we return for part two to discuss the other two years, which are as equally as eventful. Welcome back to part two. It quickly got quite toxic. Just felt that we could probably could have done things a wee bit better off the field. Is that down to motivations? Yeah, Derek, I have to ask at this stage, why do you think it didn't work out? 